You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hi, this is Tanya Pinkins, and you're listening to my podcast on the Broadway Podcast Network. You can't say that. The show where you can. I was predisposed to hate my next guest's work. First, the title, Slave Play. Most of what gets produced and raved about in New York is blacks as slaves, degenerates, murderers, or being murdered. I did not plan to say it. But my intern, Jasmine McLeish, told me she loved it. Hmm. I respect Jasmine, so I decided to risk it. With a free artist ticket, of course. And from the minute that white man walked onto the stage, I thought, Jeremy is writing my life. I was on board for the ride. And I can still understand everybody's point of view who says it's dangerous, it's doing a disservice to black women. But all I can say is opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. Kina Calcango and I shared the stage in Pittori Hall's Seminole Hurt Village, which opened the first season of the Signature Theater at the Pershing Square Theater. It was her first play just out of Juilliard, and we also shared the Broadway stage together in the musical about the life of Tupac Shakur. Holler if you hear me. Join me in welcoming my guests on You Can't Say That, Jeremy O'Harris and Jakina Calcango. This is the inaugural The Virgin You Can't Say That podcast. My first guests are Jeremy O'Harris, playwright, um, Devo extraordinaire, and Joaquina Calacango, beast actress, singer. So, Jeremy, how does it feel to be um, popping my cherry today? <laughs> I bet you didn't think you'd ever be doing that for a woman, did you? I never thought I'd do that. I mean, I think, I mean, honestly, when I lost my virginity, I lost it to someone who was like already not a virgin. So I don't think I've ever had that experience. Well, today you are popping my (laughs) chair. That's major. That's major. Especially from Tanya herself, um, who I think the internet knows I am like the biggest fan of. So this is always, every time I'm in your presence, I freak out. Oh, cool, cool, cool. And Jackie and I, we go way back to Hurt Village. Katori Hall's play yeah. at Signature Theater, and then we also did Holler If You Hear Me together on Broadway. Yes. Wait, and how many performances did Holler If You Hear Me go? 
Um, yeah. But you know what was fantastic about Holler, if you hear me on Broadway, was that those producers were the, it was, they were first time producers on Broadway. They were like movie people. And so, um, they knew they were going to lose money. They knew they had a great show. And so they gave away all the tickets to the sailors, to SEIU. And so every night we had a packed house. That's amazing. Even though they weren't paying. So we played to full houses every night, screaming, home. We played to the audience that should have been marketed to. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that doesn't happen more often because for me, like even at our, I mean, and again, like I'm not, we're gonna, you can't say that, but um, I, there, there is, there was a, we did our invited dress and I was so advocating that we give as many tickets away to people as possible. I was like, we have to, like, it's just like, we have to do it. And like, I don't, I mean, the, the, everyone who works at these theaters are so nice. They're very kind. We're there. Thank you. But it is annoying that there's so much dumb red tape yep. that everyone feels, because again, it feels like being at Yale or grad school for me mm-hmm. where everyone would be like, well, we can't go outside of that line. I'm like, the line doesn't exist. And they're like, <laughs> but we can't go outside of it. They said the line is there. I'm like, but I don't see a line because it doesn't exist. So I'm always someone who just is like, I'm like, this is a matrix. It's a simulation. Like, we can go through it. Like, what's the yes. worst that can happen? And I understand, like, our show is special and there's security stuff that everyone's worried about. But there were literally 75 seats still in, like, the area of the mezzanine I was in at our invited dress when we had, like, 700 people in the audience, most of whom were students. Under, and it was the greatest audience. But there were these girls that waited for me after the show. Oh, waited for me from the t- – they're like, oh, we ran from NYU to get here after we saw your tweet. Because I tweeted, come, you're invited. Oh, my God. And I got so in a little trouble. You- do a uh, paper an entire house off social media? Ba- halfway. They got upset. <laughs> they, they got a little upset when I literally said, don't you just DM me. You're all invited. They're like, you can't just tell the whole of internet that they're invited. Why not? I don't know why you can't. Why not? We had a line down the block for an uh, invited dress. Yes. yes. You know what I mean? And I'm like, and again, I'm this is gonna sound really bougie, but since <laughs> going to Yale, I've or since before I went to Yale, I've never done a show that didn't have a line going for, for starting. Like I've never like made a play for a not open house except for the play I did at Dixon Place, and I was like, never again will I have this small of an audience. And how did that happen at Dixon Place? Um, I didn't know enough people in New York. Okay. I've never been a New Yorker. You okay. Know? Okay. So, so I always would fly in for like a week and be like, but like this last time I was like, the, when I did the play after that play at Dixon Place, I was like, oh, I'll make my friends DM everyone. And so it, social media has always been my way. Okay. Now tell me about the DM and everyone. I don't even know how to do that. What does that mean? <laughs> like, what does that mean? DM everyone. You know how to DM. You know how to DM. You DM me a couple times. What do you do? How do you DM people to tell them to come to something? I mean, like specifically on Instagram, you click on the person, you send a message and you say, hey, let's reach out. How many people can you contact? How many people are your followers? Get the information out. Tell them to come to the theater to see the show. And people start posting it and putting really? it. People repost, hashtag, slave play. That's how you get all of these people to come to see your show. And Jeremy knows everybody. <laughs> and he's incredible. He's such a good, kind spirit that, like, literally anybody oh, on the show. we street, know this is not true. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like just his own being just pulls people in a way that I've never seen happen and it's 
beautiful to watch. That house was ridiculous. And I think what's cool about that is there are some people who will never be able to afford what we might offer. And there are some people who don't want what they can get for free. So there's an audience that wants to pay and there's an audience that can't pay, but that audience actually is going to be your word of mouth that's going to be telling the people that want to pay. And I think people lose out when they think, oh no, if you can't pay to come see this, then we don't want you. That audience is important. It's really important. Amanda Palmer really proved that with how she raised the money for her album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that something that I was so sad about was that like obviously like these kids had passion. These are 19, mm-hmm. 18 year old girls who literally had gotten done with the studio, saw one little text or one little tweet or one Instagram story and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run to the inn, go to Times Square, run to 45th and run in front of the Cedar to wait in line. And they did that. And like because of red tape, they wouldn't let like and I think it was like 30 kids that were still oh. waiting outside that didn't make it past that line they uh. wouldn't let them go in and there were empty seats there were empty seats and I'm just like that's such a missed opportunity but I think that like after the success of that and like I mean so, so something I found out last night from one of our co-producers is that uh, we are now well, the, the, the day after that invited dress we sold more tickets than almost like any single day we had sold tickets because of the, the, the video of me and Robert's speech like it's, I think sort of drove what's the video in. of me and Robert's speech what's that um, <laughs> What's well, that? Robert gave, I mean, the New York Times sort of talked about it in their little article today. Like the, we, we don't have that. So you there's, have to tell us. So there's a cover we, of we, the fall theater preview uh, in the New York Times, the paper of note, apparently, okay. according to some. So, I mean, I'm excited about the email I'm going to get from Miss Adrian Kennedy about it. Because she always, whenever I'm in the New York Times or Robert's in the New York Times, she emails us. Okay. She's very kind. Okay. But um, something that he says, he started our first rehearsal by being like, you know, um, by saying, talking about the responsibility um, we have and like what we're doing by putting the word slave on a marquee in the middle of Times Square. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to know what that costs. It should mm-hmm. cost people something to walk into a form of entertainment mm-hmm. um, under a marquee that says slave on it. Yes. Um, no matter how long it's been since slavery was abolished, we have to carry that and we have to know what we're doing. And we have to know what we're doing, doing this whole thing. And it was just like, it's so beautiful and it's so hard to follow up. And so I did the thing that I do, which is just sort of like try to make everyone laugh mm-hmm. um, by also just being real and saying the things you're not supposed to say. Like what? Unquote. What did you say? Um, I talked about money. Like, like the fact of money, the fact that like, you know, late capitalism is killing theater mm. and late capitalism does not want and has not invited poor people, black people, young people to the theater because mm-hmm. those aren't the people that people see dollar signs for. Mm. And we had a thing at New York Theater Workshop where we opened the doors to those people in our invited dress and it was so easy and so great and it got a bunch of people there and all those people who came for free, everyone said, you know, people are always like, oh, we can't give you over. Even the people that they hire to be like diversity, whatever, right. they're, they're like, oh, we well, got to make people pay something or they won't care. And I'm like, that literally makes no sense. Exactly. Like if I had to pay for Facebook before I had it, I would have never used it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But once I had Facebook, I bought like all this other shit that went along with it. You know, I bought an app or two. I bought this. You know, that's how it works. You know, yes. but you you give, the, you know, whatever. It's I mean, a loss leader. You give somebody something, you're like, you know, you're feeding them. You're getting them to come into the, to the, to the store and then they'll buy a lot of stuff, but you got to get them in. Yes. And also not to mention the fact that like 
when you for me i keep saying this thing about how like engage like how we do like community engagement in theater is so reductive and so um misses the point of why black people and brown people and young people don't go to the theater and the reason they don't go isn't because they aren't engaged it's because because they like you can engagement is like a fallacy you can be engaged by anything i'm engaged by this microphone right now and Mm -hmm. i didn't know i didn't know anything about it before i came in here right but what but what they haven't done is invited them Mm -hmm. what you guys did is invited us in here and when you invited when you invited me and you in here you asked us if we wanted water, you asked us if we wanted coffee. You gave, gave us a place to sit, and you didn't ask us to do anything for it. Yes. That's what an invitation is. And so the first time you invite someone to something, someone who's never been invited, you should lose something. And maybe that thing is like a ticket that night. Right. I, I so, so agree with you. But then you receive a DM from one of those kids, which I did in my Instagram, who said, Thank you so much for tonight. I'm saving all of my money. I told all of my classmates we're buying tickets and we're saving up our money so we can come again. I received those after the show and it was like, yeah, Yeah. there you go. Yeah, that's very powerful. It's beautiful. So I know that that first night was very, very hype. And then last night was your first preview. And I think this this show is going to air probably around your opening. But so we'll be talking about things that happened before. So night... One first night on Broadway. I know it wasn't Jackie's first night on Broadway, but it was your first night on Broadway. Tell me, was Broadway everything you thought it would be or more? Um, I, it's actually like, I mean, I don't know what I thought it would be. You know what I mean? It's a little I, underwhelming. Yeah, I saw, <laughs> I saw my first play on Broadway four years ago. I'd seen a musical on Broadway, but I didn't see my first play until four years ago when I saw Lucas Nace play. Which one else? Um, Doll's House. Yes, Doll's House too. I saw Doll's House on Broadway for free because my friend from Juilliard took me. And um, I, I remember being, it was like, it was so cool to see that set and everything and, that's, and to be in like a mez, you know, yeah. which I'd only really done in London. Um, but, uh, and also it's crazy because you can see a show in West in London for 30 pound. Um, and the tickets for that show were like $200. So mm. I would have never seen. But anyway, um, it was, but I, I don't even know, I think I was more sitting there with all the notes I had for them. Okay. Not so much the play and like the experience. <laughs> and I think I was still getting shocked that like, people were, it was working, mm. you know? Mm. I think that had been my biggest fear is that, like, some of the things that people had said, people who have, like, been around the block. What did they say? Oh, there's no way this will work on Broadway. This play doesn't make sense in a house that big. It's not, it's like, oh. you know, how are you going to maintain the intimacy that this play requires? I mean, Jeremy, it's only, you, you say it works, but it worked for a 70-person audience at Yale and a 199-person audience at New York Theater Workshop. But is that Broadway? You're like, well, how is it going to work for the person from the Midwest or the Upper West Side? Like, how is it going to function on them? And I was As like, if those people don't have sex. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But I was, I mean, I was really nervous about what the energy was going to be like because the first night... And Jakina can talk more about this because it it's still something I think I'm going to dream about and think about for the rest of my life. But having 600 kids, <laughs> when she comes out and starts twerking in slave guard, be like, hey, hey, like, hey. And like, literally, cha- literally. I, I was telling <laughs> you this, like, I felt like Megan Thee Stallion or like <laughs> Cardi B giving a concert. People like, hey, I get it. And you're like, yes, I can twerk. And I'm twerking in a mirror. And these people are hyping you up. The okay, but energy. what about when, when Massa came in? <laughs> <laughs> and then when Massa come in and then you hear me speak for the first time, everybody goes, oh, 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 o
<laughs> and that's the fun of theater. Yes. Literally, the atmosphere can be changed in three seconds. And yes. they were a part of the change. Every yeah. second, I felt like they were fully invested. They were fully vocal. They were just so alive in a way that I've never experienced in a play specifically. Yeah. It was like, it felt like a concert. It was crazy. And it affirms something that has been one of my biggest frustrations about criticisms from people online, which is like, he made this play for white people. Because mm. I'm like, nope. when you have that many young <laughs> black kids in a room, black mm. and brown kids in a room, understanding immediately what's going on, yep. there's no way. Because there's never been a white audience who've been like, hey, when that's happened. Never. <laughs> that, and that's the intended, like, that's what the performer's supposed to feel. Yeah. That's what I'm supposed to feel. And I felt so it felt so right to have 700 people getting it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, night two. Yeah, that was none of that. <laughs> 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 that. That night two came out. I looked at myself. I said, all right, self. <laughs> You're going to have to figure this out for yourself, boo. Dance in this mirror for yourself. Okay. And for your character. It so, was a different atmosphere. Right. And it took them a while, I think, mm -hmm. to, to warm up. Right, situation. so you had a lot more older white people the first preview. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know... And even older black people. I saw them right, in not, the yeah. first two roles, that's too. the crazy thing, too. The only people I've seen at the box office buying tickets... I'm always outside having a cigarette. I'm sorry, I smoke. Um, but I'm always outside having a cigarette, and there's always a black person buying tickets at the box office, which makes me so happy. Okay. Because I'm just like, oh, yeah, I just see... I saw, like, three three of them the other day. I was getting interviewed by NPR, and the NPR guy was like, well, who's that? And it was like, this young black kid was buying a ticket at the box office. Okay. So I feel like we are going to see, but they are mainly older. Yeah. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So who do we think were these people that wanted a petition to shut it down at New York Theater Workshop? What kind of people? I don't know. I don't know. Old white people? Old black people? Russian bots. Russian bots decided they were going to shut it down because you can't say that. Well, you know, something my friend Casey, um, Casey Gerald, who's an amazing novelist, he was there. Not, well, he's a novelist now, but he's a nonfiction writer. Um, he was, he got a DM because he was like, talk, he wrote a whole piece. He was like, seeing Slave Play the first time, I loved it. But seeing it a second time, like, changed the game for me. Mm. He was like, he was like, because this is a play you had to continue seeing. Agreed. He, he, was, he was like, the second time I saw it, the first act was so much funnier than the first time. Like, it was like, actually, I felt the breath and blah, blah. And, then, and he was like, he's like, I'm going to see it a third time next week. And then someone DM'd him. He was like, that's, he was like, that's interesting because that's exactly how black people responded to Color Purple. He was mm. like, do you remember? And he was like, no, I was like, 
not around when they came out. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, well, the first time everyone was like, we need to talk about this. We're not sure how we feel about this movie, blah, blah, blah. Then the second time everyone was laughing, they were into it. And that, the third time, everyone was like, we love it. And now it's a classic. Right. You know, and I'm like, I think that there was, there is always going to be that journey for black audiences, of, of especially when something's popular in white spaces or has a white gaze in and around right. it. Yeah, yeah. So Jackie, mm-hmm. the black woman's part, that I think that's the place where people focused, black women in particular, focused a lot of energy of like, you know, how can we picture a black woman like that? What's your feeling about who this black woman is and what you're bringing to it? Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you to Jeremy for, for writing a very complex character. Mm-hmm. Um, she goes on this amazing journey and there's so many colors to play. And I don't see that in a lot of uh, theater work specifically for black women like me. And so to have somebody who is completely undone, who is messy, who is dealing with some shit, who has issues, who is um, extremely in love um, in this relationship, who is um, easily triggered Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the world is exciting, honestly, to play as um, as an actress just from that standpoint. But also what I love about um, this character specifically is that she's reclaiming her sexuality. Mm-hmm. There's an ownership that's happening. And I think for black women, since we've been in this country, pretty much, we've never had ownership of our bodies. Mm-hmm. And so in this way, she's doing that mm-hmm. in this production in a real way. And I think it's a beautiful thing to see and experience on the stage and for um, other young black women to see, too, and to just take the taboo out of it because our bodies have literally not been ours for so long. And right. we're living in the stage. We're living in this day and age of Cardi B's and Megan the Stallions and all of these women saying no. Here we are. Here is our body. Here's Nicki Minaj. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And what are you going to do about it? Right. I think it's a hard thing, you know, because our bodies were taken and mm-hmm. our bodies were treated like they were animals and bred in yes. your home state. Yeah. Um, and so I think it becomes this, pro- it's a challenge for people to feel like, are we feeding into uh, what they did to us? Are we feeding into their projection onto us? And to be able to separate from that from, no, this is me trying to express myself in my fullness. You know, I think mm-hmm. that that is just a fine line that, that we're walking because we are, we are not in a post-racial or post-slave society even yet. Yeah. Did you see, did you read Morgan? Did you see it yet last night? Were you able to see it? No. See what? Um, the play. Slave no, play. they did invite me. <gasps> I hope oh. I'm on the opening night list. You are on the opening okay. night list. <laughs> Very high up. Very high up on the opening night list. Um, I mean, also, sitting next to Oprah or something. Maybe, I mean, if, if Oprah will come, okay. I don't know. Maybe we'll sit you have Rihanna. I've been in rooms with Oprah. I don't know. I don't know. Rihanna, Rihanna has texted has texted me and said she's coming. So we'll see okay. if that's true. Me and Rihanna could be hanging. I could like, Rihanna, can I have a selfie? It's gonna go viral. But no, but um, Morgan Parker, who's a black female poet that I'm obsessed with, she wrote a book called, yeah, her book is called, um, her first book was a poem in and of itself in the title, which is like, there are things more beautiful than Beyonce, which is like a gag of a title. Like, it's just like, what? Like, and like, you know, and then apparently that title got her in trouble because we were like, what are you talking about? What's more beautiful than Beyonce? She's like, I don't know, a sunset? (laughs) (laughs) But, um. But uh, she saw the play and loved it and was like, I think that you and I are the same person. And, like, I read her poems and I was like, oh, fuck. Like, 
she wrote a better version of like this play I wrote earlier. I just, and she, but we, we re, I felt a kindred spirit in her. And so um, there was one criti- critic, um, one of the black female critics who wrote something that I thought was like well-written. Like I did, but I did, I did have umbrage with a couple of her um, critiques. Like what? Well, the main critique that she had that was like the sort of, cause she, she wrote the like FUBU review, the like for us, by us review. Okay. And, um, and I was like, well, that's an, like I, I mean, I know black people who liked it, so it's like, it's, so it's like, like who is the us that you're like for? If you're saying like I didn't like it, I don't know if it's for us because I was like, well, who's the us? Like, what makes a black person a us and a them? Like, mm-hmm. I'm confused. But anyway, but so that was already one intellectual conceit I wanted to like um, problematize. But then the other thing was that she said she went through the she went through the the um, the program and she didn't see a black she didn't see a black director. Or black, um, oh no, no, sorry, a black female director oh. or a black female writer. Um, and so, and, and, and no black female dramaturg. So that made her feel like the play was like not a safe space for like black womanhood. I, and I'm, I'm misquoting her and I don't wanna, but that was ostensibly the right. sort of like, or what I took from what she was saying. Like it didn't feel like there was like representation of her identity inside of the playbill, even though we had a black female stage manager, a black female assistant director, there were multiple black women in and around our, our black female costume designer, a black female lead, um, another black female actor, whatever. There were a lot of black <laughs> women that like I felt like were represented inside the place and didn't have a lot of power in our room, but that was in and of itself something. But then she said she looked at other black women in the room and she said like sort of telepathically, she saw in their eyes that like they also were not here for this play and therefore it was like, you know, she had questions. Well, I have so, a question, and that is, are you in this play? I am. Who are you? I think I'm a little bit of everyone okay. in a very real way. Okay. Um, and I think that, like, in, I think, in, especially the thing that I got that really, like, racked my brain in a weird way was, like, in and around discussions around, like, what happens to Kanisha. I mean, someone, someone on this, on the black podcast that comes out, um, God, what's the, it's, it's Drew Shade's podcast. Um, they had said like um, they had said like you know I just didn't want to see her this black woman debased this way. Like they mm. used the word, and I was just like, have you had sex? Like I mean like and not in a way that's like any not, again you can't say I'm not being shady. I'm literally just saying like it was something that rubbed me the wrong way because it felt so like kink shamey and like sex negative Mm -hmm. because I feel like anyone who's had sex in 2019 or even like has been on the internet in 2019 is like heard someone say like choke me you know what I mean as like a as like a part of like sexual discourse and like it's like so casual now that like 12 year olds tweet it to Harry Styles so I don't know that I yeah they do it's like a thing they're like they're choke me daddy like literally to Harry Styles so it's like so it's like I was was just like I was like are we literally gonna allow ourselves to live in such a conservative space as black bodies inside of the theater that we're going to have this close to conversation around what's happening at the end of this play, not to mention what's happening at the beginning of this play, you know, because for me, I, as someone who has a lot of different types of sex, I am not like at all nervous about saying that like, I have like been in sexual situations where I've wanted to dominate someone and I've wanted to be dominated in some in some framework of fantasy, yes. even if it was for three seconds, even if it was three hours. And that's like not a bad thing. It's a like natural thing. Agreed. <laughs> so for me, when I saw the play downtown, I felt like, oh my God, he just wrote my life. <laughs> I've lived this. This is my life here right now. And I have to say that... Um, I had just taken a class with a um, a woman who had been a uh, 
a Taoist nun, and one of the highest paid dominatrixes in the world. Wow. So I had been coming out of that space, so I was totally into the dominate the, the BDSM world. And <clears throat> for definition, I want to say to all of our listeners that in the same way that people who are the majority on the planet are called minorities, the the way the language gets con- gets construed and things mean the exact opposite of what they are in reality, that's kind of the truth of BDSM. The dom, the good dom, is the servant. The good dom has to put all of their attention on the sub and must guide and follow and can do nothing that the sub does not allow. The sub is in control. And that is what it is to be a dom. And so I have to say that after seeing the play, I went home to the man I was seeing who happened to be a a white man. And I, I said, I want you to do this for me. I said, I want you to, when I come in tonight, I want you to undress me. I want you to tuck me in bed. I want you to make me a cup of tea and I want you to leave. And it was so sensuous, so incredible. It was really probably the first time I had gotten to be the sub in the relationship and he refused to ever do it again. (laughs) Vehemently, violently began to call me a lesbian because for me, that's what your play is about. He liked me to dom all the time. He wants me to put my attention on him and my requesting him to put the attention on me was unacceptable. And that's what I experienced of what Kanisha is doing, what every one of the people of color in your play is doing. They are saying, no, put your attention on me, serve me, make me feel good, please me. Let's switch the dynamic. Yes. Well, don't be speechless. I I mean, I am a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, it's exactly true. And and I think even, even also aside from the sex, I think just being a black person in this society, we have always been taught to please. We have always been taught to serve. We have always been taught to make you feel comfortable Correct. in this world. Mm-hmm. And we have been completely ignored in a sense. And so there was so much affirmation I felt like I received when um, when a lot of the kids came during the invited dress of just hearing their responses to act two mm-hmm. and them recognizing themselves in relationships, recognizing certain words and sentences that hit them in ways where they felt affirmed, where they were like, yes, this hit me in a way of like, I am worthy. I am deserving of this. This mm-hmm. recognizing themselves, I think is so important because we don't do that in society. And, um, and honestly, this character, what I realized, I think about myself was that, especially in institutions and, and going to Juilliard specifically, um, I was silent for a lot of my experience at that time. Mm. I could not articulate what was going on in myself. And I'm glad I had like people like Danielle and Corey in my class that I had some black people who I could talk to. But I remember we had a very uncomfortable talk about race in our um, theater history class of all places. And there were white girls crying and me and um, Danielle were angry and upset, you know what I mean, by a lot of it. And there just was never a place to fully release and talk about this thing. So when you see this in in an artwork, when you see this in a play, you're like, damn, I wish I had this. 
I wish I, I want so many people to see this so that when you do leave your town and go to these institutions to where you really are the minority, that you have a framework and you have the ability to talk about what you're dealing with in a way that people can recognize. And I think this play is the perfect introduction to that. And I wish more people would come to see it because of that. I mean, that's, I mean, for me, like, I don't know why anyone would make a play. Like, when people would be like, people are like, I don't know. They just didn't feel like real people. They were like ideas. I'm like, yeah, it's a fucking play. We're not, we're not real people. Her name is Jakina Kalakanga. She's not Kanisha. So I don't know why you think you're seeing a real person on stage, because you're not. And, like, for me, like, one of my favorite things that Jeannie O'Hare ever said to me, Jeannie O'Hare is one, the head dramaturg at the public theater now, but she used to run the Yale program. And one of the things she told me when I applied to school, she was like, you know why I like you, Jeremy? Did you feel like a British playwright to me? Because you don't write in simile. You write in metaphor. Mm-hmm. She was like, in the, she was like, a lot of American writers write in simile. Like, this is like that. Mm. But, like, you write in metaphor. So you let an image speak for itself mm-hmm. and transform and become multiple things to multiple people. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was it was always like it was sex, but it was like the nation. It was sex, <laughs> but it was like it's like, like it's a white man, but it's also Yale School of Drama. It's also <laughs> DePaul Theater School. It's Come also, on. you know, it was all the places where I had witnessed a lot of the times the black, specifically the black woman in my life, like not have the chance to articulate exactly because of all of the pressures of society put, puts on black women to behave a certain way, to be a certain way. The fact that every black actress I know what isn't taken seriously unless she has the kind of voice where she can do this in a monologue. The black girls who are like <laughs> actually ingenues, who like talk here and are also just as amazing at all the white girls who do this, don't get to play Juliet very often. They don't. Um, they get to play like, you know, like maybe the the nurse, the, nurse. the nervous <laughs> nurse who talks like this, but she doesn't get to be Juliet even if she, cause like, cause all the teachers are like, well, I mean, she's never gonna work. We need Angela. We need a real Angela out here. You know what I mean? And like I saw that I saw those dynamics starting to form at Yale with all of my girlfriends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you for listening to part one of my interview with Jeremy O'Harris and Chikina Calacango. Part two is coming up next. This episode was produced by Dory Berenstein, edited by Alan Seals, with music by Anthony Norman. You can find more information and other great Broadway-related podcasts via broadwaypodcastnetwork.com slash you can't say that. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.